Well, Father, here we are one more time. Not only is it a day that we can find the blessings that you've given each one of us, but the Sabbath fast approaches. Please give us a Sabbath day blessing, one that we will never forget. Draw close to us, walk with us, and talk with us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, may we feel your very presence. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, our subject, finding the Father. Jesus says, I am the way. My Father and I are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so as a result of that, by looking at Jesus, we can be able to find and understand why we have some of the problems we have. Because we as human beings have a tendency to be very, very self-centered. And as a result of being self-centered, we feel we can do it. And of course, Satan knows this human instinct, and he is a master at using it against us. And so tonight as we look at it, living without sin. You know, now in some circles you just started a fight, okay? Now what do I mean by that? There'll be some in the group that'll say, well, you know you can't live without sin. You can't keep the law. And there'll be others say, that's right. If you don't stop sinning, you're not going to make it. And the big argument's on. And you know the amazing part? Satan doesn't care why we're arguing as long as we're arguing. It doesn't matter to him. Because if we're arguing, we're not looking to the solution of the problem. We're simply arguing. And is it really possible to live without sin? And yet not have some of the legalistic burdens that have been poured upon us in the past. One thing that scares a lot of people, and maybe you've even heard some people use it. One of these days we're going to be living without a mediator. And so you had better be good enough and your life better had be, you know, set up because you're going to have to stand all by yourself and face Satan. That is the biggest bunch of you-know-what I have ever heard in my entire life, okay? Now, where do they get the statement? It's a statement from Great Controversy on page 425. Those who are living upon the earth, when the intercession of Christ shall cease in the sanctuary above, are to stand in the sight of a holy God without a mediator. And I mean, you know, they're only eating twice a day, they're only eating not more than three things at a time, you know, and so on and so on and so on and so on, okay? This is totally a misconception of what Ellen White was talking about, folks. If we actually turn over to the book of Revelation, let's put this in context. Revelation chapter 22 do we have to fear this period of time of living without a mediator? In verse 11, chapter 22, verse 11, Revelation says this, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. 
And he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly. So what happens when Jesus leaves the sanctuary in heaven, comes out of his father's house, okay? His father has said, it is done. Jesus says, everybody's made a decision. The decision are sealed for time and eternity. He's no longer a mediator. He's coming as a conquering king. Do we have to fear? No, because when we ask Jesus to represent us in the courts of heaven and we are found faultless, you remember those scriptures? Hello? We are found faultless and the decree is said, listen, you're going to stay that way. Satan can't touch you. Hallelujah. I don't think we'll know it really, you know, Doc. I, I'm not sure we'll understand that the time has happened. But we'll, Satan can no longer get to us. Do we have to fear because we don't have a mediator? No, the mediation has been done. Does that make sense? Don't let some of Satan use through some people these texts and these comments that they take out of context to try to get you to shape up. What we need to concentrate on is our relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to concentrate on daily asking Him to live in our hearts. If we do that and make this a daily work, I think I read that somewhere like Steps to Christ, this needs to be a daily work of giving our hearts again to Jesus and asking Him to come in. You know, I don't know how long it's been since you've read Steps to Christ. Go back and read it. You know, I'll tell you, for a long, long, long time uh, in my coat, because I've been in the insurance industry, and so I usually wore a coat, I carried a Steps to Christ in my breast pocket. I don't care what was going on, but I could go to lunch like we did today, Stan. I could reach in and pull out that book, open it anywhere, and it would help me through the rest of the day. It really would. I mean, it's a phenomenal book. And yet, it's in this book we find one sin. How many? One sin consistently cherished will eventually neutralize all the power of the gospel. You ever heard that one before too? It's there. It actually says that. But we need to understand, if we're giving our life to Jesus, are we really cherishing the sin? Does that make sense? And we're going to talk tomorrow anyway is that how does God treat people who are consistently sinning and even knowing they're doing it? And we're going to find out what the Bible says about it. In His blood, it cleanses us. We're forgiven. But we can read a statement and it can be misconstrued. Their robes must be spotless. Their characters must be purified from sin by the blood of the sprinkling. By what? Didn't say by your efforts, by the blood. Through the grace of God, their own diligent efforts to continually receive the grace of God, they must be conquerors in the battle with evil. While the investigative judgment is going forward in heaven, there is to be a special work of purification, 
of putting away sin among God's people upon the earth. And this was even true at Mount Sinai. Now, when we read this, it can be misconstrued. But remember, what did it say? The putting away of sin. Singular. What is she talking about? Putting away, depending on your own efforts, to be able to make it. Don't commit the sin that so easily besets us that if we commit it, it will lead to transgression of the law. That's what she's referring to. She's saying work on the staying relationship and power of Jesus Christ. Make it a daily work. It's not safe to go one day without asking Jesus to come in and live in your heart. It's a dangerous fact. Can anyone live without sin? Big question, huh? Look at Revelation chapter 14. And as we look here in Revelation 14, we find in verse 12, it says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep, that do what? Keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus Christ. And we have circles that will say, you see, you have to be keeping the law. Is it true? It is true. But we need an understanding. We would keep the law through Jesus living in our hearts. He would be doing that. Does that make sense? If we have asked him to come in and say, please, take us again today. Not what I want, but what you want. Listen, folks. Jesus said, don't worry about it. I'll handle it. Okay? And if you slip, I'll forgive you. Just ask me. But I'm going to tell you eventually that sin will be gone. Why? Because Jesus said so. Now, we can take a loose you know, definition, like some have, and it says, well, you know, then in that case, I don't have to worry about it. Jesus is going to do everything. All I got to do is just accept Jesus. Well, that's true, but please define for me what you're saying, okay? If you think that Jesus' love gives you a license to do whatever you want, this is nuts, okay? It doesn't. Why? Jesus doesn't break the law. Never did. And yet he says, I'll have the power to do it. Now, I want to make something clear right here and now so that we understand this subject. I'm not talking about our sinful nature. There's absolutely nothing we can do about that. You understand? That's God. When does it get changed? When Jesus comes in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We're not even talking about unknown sin. God winks at what we don't know. But he said, now listen, I don't expect you to stay ignorant either. Okay? I expect you to read and study and learn and then let me handle it. Okay? But we're not talking about stuff we don't know. And there's lots of it we don't know, believe me. If God was to open unto us in the real condition we are in, we would just, just give up. I'm just telling you, we would flat give up. But God opens to us and says, listen, I've forgiven all the past. 
And if you'll let me come and live in your heart, I'll take care of the present. And that's what we have to do. So in this talk, we're not talking about our sinful nature, and we're not talking about unknown sins. Here's some quotes. None of the apostles nor the prophets ever claimed to be without sin. Men and women who have lived nearest to God, people who would sacrifice their life rather than knowingly commit a wrong act, men whom God has honored with divine light and power had confessed their sinfulness of their nature. They put no confidence in flesh. They claim no righteousness of their own, but have trusted wholly in the righteousness of Christ. And yet some of us say, boy, if I could just be like Paul, you know, if I could just, you know, I relate more to Peter, but if I could just be like Peter, <laughs> we are. Hello. Okay. We are. John says, you know, he says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us. But then he goes on in chapter two and says, listen, little children, I tell you this, that you sin not. Now, why would he say sin not if it isn't possible to not sin? Hello? The Bible even talks about there is a sin that's not unto death. That's also in John. Most people won't talk about it. What kind of that sin is that? Listen, folks, that's a sin you don't even know about yet. Hello? It's not unto death. Why? God doesn't hold us accountable for it. Okay? He only would hold us accountable if we choose to be willingly ignorant. And we can do that. I've met people who say, well, I'm not going to read the Bible, then I don't know, and then I'm not in trouble, right? Mm, yeah, okay. I'd like to start by giving some reason why we have to accept something other than forgiveness. We have to also accept the power of Christ as well, okay? Not just the forgiveness, but the power to be able to be the sons and daughters of God. And if we do this and we get it so we understand it, what a difference it'll make. Desire of Ages says, the righteousness of Christ is not a cloak to cover unconfessed or unforsaken sin. It is a principle of life that transforms the character and controls the conduct. Now once more, Satan likes to use this but bend it his way. What does it mean, unforsaken sin? Does it mean a sin that you did yesterday and you did it again today? Okay. Yeah, uh, here's the difference. If we're willing to let him change us, then isn't it forsaken? Hello? Even if you did it again, hello? Are you with me? But you forsook it because you said, Lord, listen, if you don't change what I like, I'm going to be lost. You have to change me. You've got to make my, my, my thoughts different. You have to make my taste different. You have to change what I want, Lord. I'm willing Please do it for me. Then you see that makes a difference. Are you understanding? And yet Satan wants to be able to bend this to say, unforsaken means you're not doing it anymore. Okay? 
Now, in some cases, it'll mean that. How many of you can honestly say, since you met Jesus, that you used to do things that you don't do anymore? Can all of you say that in one way or another? Why? Okay? This is the purpose. If we admit we are sinful, if we admit we are weak, if we admit, Lord, all I want to do is be a son or daughter of God. I want to live like you live, Lord. Please, you promise me you'll do it. Please do it for me. Let me ask you, is there any sin I hadn't forsaken? No, I've given it all to him. Does that make sense? Okay. But Satan, of course, knows we're weak and he knows that, you know, all i got to do is get them to do it once and they'll give up because they know they ain't making it so they would just give up and go ahead. And that's what he wants us to do is give up. Turn over with me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. And I want to be able to give you some promises tonight that you can hide in your heart, you know, and, and it'll help you a lot. In verse 20, Hebrews 13 and verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead, Hebrews 13, verse 20, brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Did, did God do all that? Huh? Can we positively say, yes, he did that, right? Now catch the next part. Make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. So now there again it says, make you what? Perfect. In every good work. In doing His will. But how do you do it? Working in you. Are you doing it? You're not doing it. Who's doing it? God's doing it. Now if He said He's going to make you perfect. And if He said I'm going to do it. Then tell me something. Whose responsibility is it? It's his responsibility. It's God's, isn't it? It's not yours. Don't take it. Give it to him. Because every time you take control, you have a miserable experience. I just tell you that in advance. How's Bobby doing? Is he doing okay today? Great. I'm glad you're here tonight, Bobby. George, good to see you. And at the same time, notice he says, how is he doing it? Through Jesus Christ. What a wonderful promise. You know, we, we need to fear bringing the standards down to our performance. Because that means we ain't going to have any. Hello? God never does away with his standards. But God says, listen, I will make you perfect. I will accomplish it. I will have Jesus working in you. Please just be smart enough to let me do it. And yet many, many people are still working on salvation through works. 
No man can cover his soul with the garments of Christ's righteousness while practicing known sin or neglecting known duty. You ever read this one? And, you know, we can misuse this and misscrew it, and I've had people use it against us in relationship to us. But, folks, what is he really saying? No man can cover his soul with the garments of Christ's righteousness while practicing known sin or neglecting known duties. If you started out this morning and said, God, please take me again today. Please, not what I want to do. Please, you do what you want to do. Are we practicing known sin? But now suppose you do the same thing today you did yesterday. What's Satan going to tell you? You might as well just give up. You're never going to make it. You see how he can take a positive and change it into a negative? Real easy. Because we as human beings have a tendency, you're right, we're not doing it, and so I guess we're lost. (laughs) There is no excuse for sinning. A holy temper, a Christ-like life, is accessible to every repenting, believing child of God. Do you believe that? It's true. How? Through Jesus Christ. We just read it over here in Hebrews. If we allow Him to come in, it'll make a difference in our life, and He will do it. This one tells us, The love of God does not lead Him to excuse sin. He did not excuse it in Satan, Adam, or Cain, nor will he excuse it in any of the children of men. No, he accepts us and expects us to overcome, but how? In his name. He didn't say, work hard, become perfect, and I'll take you. He said, no, you're mine. You're already going home with me. Just let me come in and change the things that need to be changed. It's my job. And yet we can have people just change this stuff around and make it so hard. I want you to go over to Hebrews 4. We're already in Hebrews. Just turn over to chapter 4. We find here in verse 15. The Bible tells us this. Hebrews 4.15 For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our problems. Okay? Infirmities. But our problems, our weaknesses, okay? And, but he was in all points tempted like as we are, and yet without sin. And then Paul adds this. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of what? grace that we may obtain what? Mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What do we do? We come boldly. Why? Jesus opened the veil. There's nothing between us and the Father. And so as a result of that, we can come in and ask and we will receive and he does give it to us. As we look at it, Can anyone live without sin? You know, the answer has to be yes. Some people say, well, name somebody that did. Okay, I will. Hello. (laughs) Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself. 
It's the Father working in me. Amen? But Jesus lived without sin. God says, so can we. How? By Jesus living in us. Same way. And yet we want to be able to, what should I say? We want to go from birth to Ph.D. overnight. Okay? That's not what happens. When we accept Jesus and we ask him to forgive us and cleanse us, we are a baby. That's what the Bible says. And most of us, especially who are adults, don't like to admit we're a baby. Why? A baby's helpless. Isn't that right? A baby's totally helpless. I mean, without mom and dad, what is it they're going to do? Do you understand the parallel here that God's trying to be able to get across to you? You're a baby. You're helpless. But I have the power to change the diaper when you make a mess. Okay? I have the power to be able to feed you. I have the power to be able to dress you. I have the power to make you into what you should be. But folks, this is a lifetime work. Do you understand that? A lifetime work. That is an excuse to go ahead and do something you know you're not supposed to do. But it's, it is a promise that when Satan comes and tries to get you so far down you can't see over a worm, to be able to look to him and say, Listen, I know, but Jesus promised. God promised. And we can be strong and have peace of mind through Him. Remember the Bible says, He gives us peace that passes all understanding. How is it that we can say our prayers at night, lay down and go to sleep? And we should be able to lay down and go to sleep with full assurance that if we don't wake up in the morning, we'll wake up in the first resurrection. What a peace of mind that gives you to go to sleep that way. And that's what the Bible's trying to tell us. And so God's saying, we're a baby. Can we do it? No, of course not. Go over to Romans chapter 8. I like Paul, the way he puts things sometimes. He had a real insight, and yet he was a real legalist. You know. (laughs) I want to start with verse 7. This whole chapter 8 is just power-packed. But I want you to notice something. 8-7. Because the carnal mind is an enemy against God. The way we think is, is an enemy. You understand that? For it is not subject to the law of God. It's subject to its own law and what it wants. Neither indeed can it be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. What is it talking about? Not my will, but thy will. You're not serving the flesh now, you're serving the Spirit. Does that make sense? Sometimes we want to make this stuff so complicated. You know, it's like a a lot of lawyers. You know, if they can't use the great big jargon, they can't be able to justify their education and how much they're charging you. 
You know, I can remember spending hours and hours and hours with eight different lawyers to be able to go back and create a trust document that you and I could understand. You know, and I sent it back I don't know how many times and I said, what does that mean? And they'd explain it. I said, well, why can't you say that? Okay? And we find the same thing happening in all walks of life. You know, we want to impress people with how much we know. But Jesus just says, listen, the only one thing you have to know, your Father, which is in heaven, and believe Him, and let me. That's what you have to know. And so, we're in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You can call yourself a Christian, but if you haven't invited Jesus in this morning, you're just fooling yourself. It's that simple. If Christ be in you, the body, or the, what we want, is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of right doing. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Now again, what's Paul saying? Whose responsibility is it? Yours? No, it's His. And if you... Let him come in. He is the one that will do it and even change our vile bodies one day. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. But if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But you, therefore, the Spirit does mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. What's it saying? Is saying, if you allow the Holy Spirit in, He will change you physically and mentally. That's what He's saying. And ultimately, give you a body that you were supposed to have in the beginning. But again, whose responsibility is it? Are you getting it from these scriptures? All right. For as many as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons or the children of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage, like a lot of... How many of you ever felt under bondage since you became Seventh-day Adventist, you know? <laughs> you are not. <laughs> you have not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, we know he understands and we can go to him and he'll love us. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Boy, what a promise. What it changes. And instead of having a negative effect about trying to live without sin, if we realize our desperate condition there is no change for us or chance for us to live without sinning. But by claiming these promises, we can live without sin. You remember what Jesus said to the woman that was caught? 
neither do I condemn you. You know, the Bible says over and over and over, and Pastor Stan and I was talking about this today, even amongst uh, uh, ministers and evangelists. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn. I came to save. When you're feeling condemned, who's doing the condemning? Satan is. You need to recognize that. This is a real war. Satan does not play fair. Satan will do anything to keep from you what is yours. It's that simple. He wants to steal it from you. Jesus never condemns. Now, don't get me wrong. He condemns sin. Okay, let's be honest about it. But he never condemns the sinner. But now, what did he tell the woman? Go and what? She wasn't condemned, but did she need to keep right on sinning? No. Jesus gives us the power to overcome these sins because he's living in us and it is him that is doing it. The verse that you said, Carol, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? Every bit of it, folks. Even stuff you don't even know you're doing wrong yet because you haven't found it out. Hello? There is sin that's not unto death. Am I making this plain for you? I mean, I know there's some pastors who won't even touch some of these scriptures. So we must accept or admit, first, we're a sinner, right? And we need Him to live in us using His power to live without sin. Not us but Him. How many of you believe Jesus has the power? Huh? I hope you do. You know, I really hope you do. It says He will be able to keep us from falling and present us how? Faultless. Faultless. Not because of anything we did except one thing. Lord, thank you for today again. Please, take me again today. Not my will, but your will be done. How hard is that? But if we don't make it a daily work, we're fooling ourselves. We're kidding ourselves, folks. And this is when the bad part comes out. Power is available to keep us from falling. I I want you to look up that one text there too. John 5.30. I want you to see something because this is what Jesus himself said. And it really uh, says a lot when you look at it. John chapter 5 and verse 30. Now Jesus is talking. You'll know that if you've got a red letter edition, right? Here's what Jesus said. I can of mine own self do what? Nothing. As I hear, as I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. What is he telling us? We can't do it. We have admitted that, right? But it says that we seek his will. 
Jesus sought the will of the Father to do whatever the Father wanted. And thus, in doing the will of the Father, he was automatically doing right. Does that make sense? And so if Jesus can do nothing, and he accepted the will of the Father to do what he did with the Father's power in him, then guess what? Jesus says we can too. So you see, even in overcoming so that we do not sin, Jesus is our example. Hello? Jesus accepted the power from the Father. As well as forgiveness when we, for times when we don't make use of the power as we are growing. There's another text there. Let's go over and look at this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And here we find something that Paul brought out. It's in verse 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare, I told you we're in a war, are not human. Hello? I don't care how strong a will you got. That's not a weapon. But the mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. God's might, not your might. Verse 5, casting down imaginations. Wow, that's a big one. Every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I don't know about the rest of y'all. That's hard for me to really even imagine. But he says he can do it. Do I believe it? Yes, I do. That's the part that makes it so nice. He didn't say, Jack, you didn't have to keep going back and testing, making sure, you know, that I'm really doing a good job. He said, you just trust me and I'll do it. And that's what's so wonderful. And God's responsibility is not only to bring our imagination, our self into control, but even our very thoughts. What a powerful God we really have if we accept the power that he gives us. Isn't it good news to know there's something more than forgiveness? Isn't that really good news? He also wants to give us the power of obedience and overcoming. And it's his job and his responsibility. I want several texts. I want to close with these texts. There are several of them. How, the same way Jesus did, depending on his Father's power, we must depend on his power. And let's go back to John chapter 6. And I just want to run through these texts here because they say a lot. John chapter 6. Here we find, again, Jesus is talking. And we find this, that in verse 56, Jesus said, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Okay? 
We have to drink and eat from God daily. He is the living water. He is the living bread. And if we do it, then he'll be living in us. John chapter 14. Here we find in verse 17, John 14 and verse 17. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither even knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. In other words, he'll give us the assurance, folks, that we are the sons and daughters of God. Yet a little while the world seeth me no more, but you see me, because I live, and you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Do you see the connection we have to have a living relationship with Jesus. Without it, we're totally lost. Chapter 15, verse, beginning with verse 5. We read a little bit of this last night. I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man bides not in me, he cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. What a promise Jesus is giving us. What is it we have to do? Ask him to come and live within us. Psalms 119. Huh? Stay connected. That's right. Absolutely, Gary. That's the secret of the whole thing. Psalms 119. Many people look at the Old Testament and don't believe the Old Testament sometimes agrees with the New Testament. Chapter, I mean, verse 11. Here David says, here's a secret. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Now I want you to stop and think. We think, and I'm not wrong, but we think, His Word have we hid in our heart that we might not sin against thee. I want to give you just a little bit of a twist different. The Word became flesh. And the word I have hid in my heart, that, Father, I will not sin against thee. Do you understand what David was talking really about? David found the Savior. And the Savior lived in his heart. And every day he wanted him in his heart that he wouldn't sin against God. Even way back then, David understood the message. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. I hope these promises you'll just hide them in your heart and let them give you courage when Satan comes to be able to try to discourage you. Verse 41. Jesus says this. 
Watch and pray. That you enter not into temptation. The Spirit is indeed willing. Many times mentally we're willing. But it says the flesh is weak. What do we need to do? Watch and pray. Watch who? Jesus. Amen? And pray, asking Him to live in our lives. When you melt these scriptures down to what does it really talk about, folks, it's all talking about our relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. That's what it's all talking about. Everything in here is to lead us unto the knowledge of God and an understanding of who He really is. Of course, First Peter, how many of you know what that one is? Jesus is our example in how much? Everything. If Jesus depended on God the Father, if Jesus said, I can't do anything, but God can do everything, if Jesus said, Thy will, okay, then how much less can we without Him? He is our example. As we look at this, we find with Christ in our hearts, we have victory and power. Only as Christ dwells within are we able to overcome sin. And do we have to worry when Jesus ceases to be a mediator in heaven? Not one bit. Not one bit. Not because of anything we do or anything we did. It's because of what He did in us. Isn't that amazing? My, how it can change our religious experience to understand it's His responsibility. I love it. By the way, He'll only lead us as fast as we'll let Him. Okay? He'll never push us. Okay? If we continue in a fellowship with Him day by day till the day we totally depend upon Him, then we will be living without sinning because Jesus is living in us. Is it possible to live without sin? Yes. But you'll never be good enough. Hello. But Jesus is. And he's sinless anyway. Won't we just let him do it? What a way that can go. Father, Thank you. Please, help us to take this song to heart. It's not us, it's you. It's Jesus living in us. We know we can't trust ourselves, Father. Our promises are nothing. But we know we can trust you and we know we can trust Jesus. And you both said you will do it. Oh, let us know you, that we can say we know who we have believed. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.